Well, I want to begin uh, with the question, where do you find strength? Where do you find strength to joyfully endure through life? Already in today's service, a lot of the themes uh, have been about enduring. But we don't want to endure whiningly, like my kids do, <laughs> or sometimes I do. But we want to endure joyfully as we face difficult times in life, suffering, hardships, surprises, confusion. We want to be able to endure joyfully. And if you uh, come to Trinity Grace Church, uh, maybe your memory is being jogged that um, this is a question that comes up often. And the reason why is because Scripture addresses this aspect of life often. Scripture provides for us, invites us to a way to joyfully endure the, this journey of life, all its ups and downs, and not only to endure, but really to persevere by his grace to the very end until Christ calls us home. Now, all the more, very specifically, in this letter a few verses ago, um, Colin addressed it last week, that may you be strengthened. Paul says to the Christians in Colossae, may you be strengthened. So that's where I get this idea of strength with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. This is Paul's desire for the Christians in Colossae almost 2,000 years ago, and for you and me today in the 21st century. Now, another way to ask it then, when we ask, where do you find strength to joyfully endure? Another way to ask this question is, what takes first place? I know that's quite a jump, but let, let me try to connect that thought because when we, whatever is first place in our hearts, whatever we desire the most, that's what gives us the strength to inch along because we're hoping to reach that goal. We're hoping to reach that finish line or, or to attain whatever it is that we're longing for. And so the word, the big word, but it's a beautiful word that Paul uses today if you recall in the scripture reading, it says that Christ, so that Christ may be preeminent. And preeminence basically means first place, that he may have first place. He may be the top. He may, and another word for that is supremacy. It's, it's a synonym, that he may be absolute, that he may have final authority and rule. And so I'm going to interchange those words today, preeminence, supremacy, but just think first place. What takes first place in my heart? And so again, asking the question, where do you find strength to joyfully endure? Maybe it's some sort of supreme security, a security that for you takes first place. It could be a person in your life that represents security. It could be a certain balance in your account. It could be a certain position or work or, or whatnot. Perhaps for you, it's a supreme something to experience, some kind of pleasure in your body some sort of sensuality, whether it is a food that you're, a meal that you're looking forward to or, or just enjoying some sort of pleasure, whether it's chemical or bodily, but that's first place in your heart. And it's those things, there's that just phrase that we use, that, that we work for the weekends, right? We're looking towards just relaxing and enjoying and having fun. Or perhaps it's some supreme idea of success, that if you just reach this place, or you're able to produce this product, or, or to have this uh, win, that that's what keeps you moving along, and it gives you the strength to persevere through tough times. Or perhaps you're more kind-hearted, the kind-hearted of all of us here, and, and it's just really about what keeps you moving along is just to have that soulful connection with someone. As long as there's, there's that some soul, another soul that's willing to listen to you, 
converse with you, and you just have that connection. And so the way I want to summarize the big idea of these five verses today is, is through this simple prayer. Lord, help me to find strength to joyfully endure in your supremacy, in, in Jesus's preeminence, in Jesus being first place in my heart. That's what the gospel calls us to, to find a deep joy, the deepest joy, and that converts into a strength as Christ is before us, as, as he becomes more and more beautiful, he really becomes everything, the, the single source that we need to keep moving along and persevering. So I wanna ask two questions today, two more questions. Um, how is Christ supreme? That's what Paul is unpacking in these five verses, that Christ is preeminent, that he's supreme, he takes first place. And then to ask, how does Christ's supremacy give me strength? Okay, Albert, that's grand and all, that's a big idea, but how does that work out very practically in the day-to-day -day for me to joyfully endure? So let's ask this first question, how is Christ supreme? Now, I love how John Piper puts it. He, he helped me a lot uh, just reading some of his thoughts on today's passage to really um, break down and digest this passage for myself. And, and he says this just as an introduction that these five verses, it's the most concentrated description of Christ's glories in all of Scripture. So just to sort of put us in a mindset, this is what we're up for today. In these five verses, we're, we're trying to make digestible and, and bring down to earth the most concentrated description of Christ's glory. So this is big. And so what we see first is that Christ is supreme. He's first place over creation. Now again, even that word creation, that's big, that's grand. And, and we, we see it in the, as we begin in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And, and so before we unpack what he means there, first creation, I want you to see that as a chapter title, if you will, and a title towards everything about life, from maybe the, the pills that you have to take in the morning for your bodily ailments, to the work that you have to go to tomorrow, to the people in your life, to um, just the fun that you want to enjoy, to, to just everything, the whole gambit and spectrum of life and, and the nature that we see out there, the buildings that we see, the place, perhaps the places you travel to and the beauties of this world that you see, all the animals and so forth, everything under creation. Paul is speaking as highest level possible. And he says here that Jesus, he is Jesus here, is the image of the invisible God. As Paul begins to unpack that Christ is supreme over creation, he begins with this description that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, what does he mean by that? I want you to understand this word image as simply as likeness. And to help us understand it, basically the likeness of a child to his or her parent. When a child looks, resembles his mom or dad, certain features and characteristics and so forth and personality, that's what he means here, that Jesus is in the likeness of the invisible God. And what he's saying is that Jesus is the visible likeness, the visible representation, the visible identification, and not only a resembling, but really in existence, who he is, that in his fullness, he is the likeness of the invisible God. And he goes on to say that this Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, he is the firstborn of all creation. Now, we need to be very careful here and very precise and accurate. 
Paul is not saying that Jesus himself was created. He's going to show us in a few phrases that Jesus himself is the creator. So what does he mean by firstborn of all creation? In Paul's time, this word firstborn, it meant the firstborn child in the sense of authority and heir. If the mother or father passed away, then the firstborn child, son or daughter, would take over would become the heir and the authority and the one who uh, rules and administers all the estate and the resources. And what Paul is saying here is that Jesus, being the likeness of the invisible God, he's saying two things. First, Jesus came into creation. Yes, the creator came into creation as a human being. And so in that sense, he is the most important human being. In that sense, the firstborn in creation. He's, he's tangible. He had flesh on him, but also as God's only begotten son, that he is the heir of all creation, of all the universe, of, from one galaxy on one end of the universe to the other very end, the nether regions of the other end of the universe, that he rules over all, that God created all this through him, for him, and that he rules over all. And so Christ is supreme over creation. And he goes on to explain this, to elaborate more. For by him, all things were created. And so there it is. Paul's making it absolutely clear to, to just quell any heretical thoughts. Jesus himself is not created. He is the creator in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And I want you to notice this phrase, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now, here it helps to know the context of uh, Paul's writing to the Colossians. And Paul's heart was breaking for the Christians in Colossae because they were being uh, led astray in two ways. First, there were these other religious leaders who were trying to impose on them the old rule that they had to act a certain way. They had to do certain things in order to be saved. Obviously, that was a, a, her a heresy, a wrong teaching. And one word we use to summarize that is legalism, that we have to act a certain way, perform certain things, obey certain rules to be forgiven by God and be loved by God and to be accepted by him and to be saved. But also, they're being misled by angelic worship. People would say that, no, what we need to worship are angels. And, and so Paul here is addressing both of those in one shot. When he speaks of the thrones and dominions or rulers, authorities, he's speaking on one level of human authority. Whether it be the, the very, you know, the, the religious person who says that you have to, the only way God will love you and save you is that if you perform to a certain standard and obey certain rules, or governments, human governments and human rule, but on another level, Paul here is also speaking of spiritual forces. We don't have time to get fully into it, but the Bible clearly teaches that in this era right now, until Christ returns and fully consummates his kingdom, that there is an evil kingdom at work as well. There is Satan and his demons at work as well. And, and these angels would be that these uh, heretics were trying to mislead the Colossians toward was purporting this worship, this worship of angels. And so what Paul is making clear here, reminding the Colossians that Christ is supreme over all creation, whether angels and demons, whether human governments, whatever rules, that Christ is the final authority. You only need to answer to Christ. Now, we need to pay attention if you're an honest thinking person, and I scratched my head, especially with the news this week as we saw the evil in New Zealand, 
another terrorist attack, attacking just innocently worshiping people. And not only New Zealand, but again, just it doesn't take long. Just look at the headlines, and we see, and especially now as, as living in the 21st century, we have the most hindsight in history. And, and so therefore, we need to be the most honest of all the atrocities that we've seen, all the evil that we've seen in history. And so when Paul says here, all things were created through him and for him, and Paul even addressing head on these evil dominions, these spiritual forces, these demonic forces, that all things, so what he is saying basically is that good and evil, all these things were created through Christ and for Christ. What does that mean? Does that mean that Christ himself is the reason for evil? And so I want to take a moment. It's important here, if, if you're really honestly chewing on that all things were created through him and for him, then we need to reconcile them. How does this make sense of even all the evil and the sickness and so forth that we see in history? And so follow this, this logic with me. There's this line of thinking. First, everything, originally, everything was created good by Christ. When he first spoke this universe into being, when Adam and Eve were first there, naked and unashamed in Eden, in paradise, everything was good. There was no sin, no selfishness, no disease, no war, no famine. Everything was created good by Christ. And at that time, there were angels as well. There were spiritual forces created. But angels and humans rebelled against God. If you want a quick proof text, you can turn to Jude 1.6 on your own. But angels and humans rebelled against God. And so sin came into this world. But God knew this would happen. God was not some imbecilic you know, out of control, not in control person that was surprised by all this. He foreknew. That is how much he is in control, how much he is sovereign. God knew this would happen. And so when Paul says, through him and for him, everything good and evil, through him and for Christ, what Paul is saying that even through evil things, this evil role that certain people and forces and governments and angels take on in history, God is glorified even through angels and humans playing an evil role because eventually, eventually, Christ being first place, preeminent, he will return as final king of all kings, judge of all judges. He'll bring everything to account from every smallest little lie to the most atrocious genocidal rulers in history. He'll bring all these things to account and Christ will also be glorified through his justice, his excellency of, of being final authority and being able to execute justice and being, being able to put evil in its final place. So Christ is supreme over creation, and therefore, Paul says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And that phrase there, hold together, has the, the imagery of, of something being held together by one thread. And another way to understand it is that something holding something together. It's, the, it's that one thought, that one thing that makes the most good sense. And so as we look out on the world, it's inadequate to just say, this is all survival of the faith. Well, if you can't be strong enough, that, that's why you're succumbing and, and you're, you're a victim of evil in this life. No, that's not good enough. But to know that there will be Christ, who is first place and supreme over all creation and will bring everything to account and exact as perfect justice, and right every wrong in the final end. That's what holds everything together. That's what will make the most sense 
especially when you personally are facing injustices in this life, when you are facing the effects of the fall in an ailing body, a body that is breaking down, the one thing that will make the most sense of this is that Christ will come and will redeem that. He will resurrect your ailing body. He will heal it, and he will take everything that is broken and wipe away all the tears and show you how it all comes together for his glory and your good in the end. So I love how one commentator puts it. Just, just think of all of creation, all creation, all of history, and this thought towards that. Everything from the bottom of the oceans to the top of the mountains, from the smallest particle to the biggest star, from the most boring school subject to the most fascinating science, from the ugliest cockroach to the most beautiful human, from the greatest saint to the most wicked genocidal dictator, everything that exists exists to make the greatness of Christ more fully known, including you and the person you have the hardest time liking. Christ is supreme over all creation. But we also see that Christ is supreme over new creation. One way to look at time and history is really there are just two chapters. The first chapter is creation, and the second chapter is new creation. I know there are some theologians here that will say, well, under creation, there's also the fall and then redemption. And, but these things can fall basically under God created the world, this universe, and yes, it went awry, but now he is beginning new creation. And so Paul now transitions a little bit abruptly. He's talking about creation, but then all of a sudden he switches in verse 18, and now he begins to explain that Christ, he is the head of the body, the church. Paul loves the analogy of the body in describing the church. And the church here ultimately represents new creation. I love how John Stott simply summarizes it, that the church, every genuine believer who's placed their faith in Christ, it doesn't mean they're perfect and they're, they're blameless in terms of their actual moral record, but everyone who has placed their faith in Christ and by grace perseveres to the end until Christ calls them home. And one day in eternity, God will gather together, Christ will gather together all those who believe through history and place their faith in him for the forgiveness of sins. And collectively, they are Christ's church, and the church is the new humanity. It's the one population, the one demographic that will live into eternity, into a new earth, on a new earth, a pristine, redeemed earth, and in a wonderfully new and pristine and redeemed and rebuilt universe, and living life as God meant it to be. And the church, the church is this new humanity. And so when Paul says here that Christ is the head of the body of the church, really, in a bigger sense, we, we can say we're allowed here, we have permission to say Christ is supreme over new creation. And Christ here, he is the firstborn as well. There's that term again, it's the same meaning. That, that firstborn child, that firstborn son who is the heir and has authority, and he's the be beginning of this new humanity. And you and I, we get to be a part of this new humanity when we place our faith in Christ. As Paul explains in other places in his letters, as we are united with Christ. That's what faith is. You're, you're uniting yourself to Christ, and this is the amazing, mind-blowing good news, that every blessing that God the Father gives to his son Jesus is yours as well when you place your faith in him. God looks at you the way he looks at Jesus. God loves you fully the way he loves Jesus. And so Jesus being the first, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, meaning resurrected, God saw his sinless life and was pleased to accept his life as the atonement, the substitution for, for us. 
and he vindicated him. I'm not going to leave you to eternal punishment in the grave. I'm going to resurrect you. That's what he means, the firstborn from the dead. So I want you to think of it like this. I want to give you another analogy. And uh, I've had the, the fortune, the great fortune, to, to visit Maui uh, in Hawaii. And it's a beautiful island. So on the left, you see here an aerial uh, view and seeing a lot of the island there. And that island itself is astounding. Honestly, from the places I've visited uh, on this earth, I, I, would, I would say that I, if I didn't know that there's going to be a, another heaven with Christ coming, this is paradise. But on this grand island, there's this one other spot that is head and shoulders more beautiful than the whole island itself. And that's this peak called Haleakala. And it's a, it's a dormant vo- volcano. And it's a tourist attraction. It's some 3,000 plus meters high. And people get up very early while it's still dark and they drive up to the top and they witness the sunrise. And that picture on the right is, is a picture of the sunrise at the top. It's so high that you're above the cloud line. And, and you begin to see this glorious, just heart-melting view of the sun rising. And so what I'm trying to get you to see is here's this beautiful island, this big island. But on that island is this this one place that stands out even more beautiful than all the rest. And when, Christ, when Paul says that Christ, he is the head of the body of the church, he's not only exalting Christ as firstborn, that he, yes, he is the head of the church, but what he is also saying is as God looks out on the universe, this grand universe, and as he is scanning across the universe, and then his eyes fall on this little ball and orb called earth, and on this earth, there's this one group of people that his eyes fixate on all the more, and his affections are for this people, it is the church. It is the church, Christ's bride, Christ's body. And so if you have placed your faith in Christ today, let these words, let this identity soak into your soul. You are the church. You are Christ's body. You are his beloved where he is preeminent, where he is firstborn, it is because he came to give his life as a ransom for you. He came and gave up his life in substitution for you. You are the church. All this to say, Christ is supreme, period. When Paul says at the end that in everything he might take first place, in everything that he might be preeminent, first in the first chapter of history, creation, everything was created through him and for him. And even all the the good and the evil, all the question marks that you have about life, it will be used. Christ will, it will only exalt Christ more as he is finally revealed as the one who can bring account to it all and make sense of it all. But also, life doesn't end there. To make it very practical, this week also in the headlines, maybe you saw the same headline as me, there were students who were protesting and they refused to go to school as protest towards really the world governments that the world governments need to wake up and take care of earth. And there's this whole movement amongst youth. What to, to older politicians and so forth? You are being irresponsible. The way, at least the science is showing that the earth is dying and so forth. These young students, young teenagers, even tweeners, protesting. And so there's a longing in the next generation's heart. They, they know that earth can, can fail, that even earth can die. And so even creation, that first chapter of creation, it, it, it will come to an end. And yet Christians have the hope that there is also a new creation. That even though this world, whether it's from our respons- irresponsibility or Christ coming one day in his final judgment and recreating creation into new creation, there will be a new creation as well. And in both chapters, God the Father is pleased to raise Christ up 
to be first place. So let's try to make this practical. How does Christ's supremacy give you and me strength in our day-to-day to endure joyfully? And we see it in the last two verses. For in him, verse 19, all the fullness of God. Fullness there, it's important to understand. It means every perfection, 110%. God was pleased to dwell in this human body called Christ. It was fully God in this human body, Christ. But I want to take that one step further. I'll show you how this is true. That Christ the supreme, not only is God pleased to dwell in Christ fully, and please, that word there, please, please notice that it's the Father's pleasure. Just picture the healthiest love relationship between a father and his or her child, or his child. And the pleasure that a father has, the doting eyes and affection a father has over his child. God was pleased to dwell fully in Christ, but I want to show you the next step. The next logical thought is Christ the Supreme is pleased to dwell in you. I love St. Augustine's reflection and his confessions. And he's talking about praying to God. And, and so he says, when, for when I call on him, I ask him to come into me. That's essentially one way to understand prayer. You're, you might not be saying that, but when you pray to God, you're opening up your heart. Say, God, come into my life. Be a part of my life. Be real to me. For when I call on him, I ask him to come into me. And what place is there? St. Augustine, he was a very in, intelligent man, but he's scratching his head. What place is there in me, this frail human body, into which my God can come, into which God can come, even he who made heaven and earth, he who made creation? And as perhaps you've had a similar reflection or a similar wrestling, how, how can God, who is so great and grand, be near and even in me? And so Paul, he says in another letter to Christians in Ephesus, He writes, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, again, to be strengthened. There's the theme again. Paul repeats it, that we need to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, and this is what I want you to notice, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. It's like those Russian dolls, right? First, the fullness of God is dwelling in Christ, is pleased to dwell in Christ, and now Christ is pleased to dwell in you. The smaller doll now is in you. And so Christ, the supreme, is pleased. The creator of the universe. So here I have a picture of just a little smidgen of the galaxy. And just try to, your mind won't be able to do it, but just try to picture, try to imagine the whole universe, right? Do your best to imagine that. And now I have this little container and try to take that the entire universe, all the stars, all the galaxies, all the glories, all the meteors, every planet, every human being, and to fit it into this fragile container. And when Paul glories, when, when he speaks of the excellency of God, the mystery of God, that God is pleased to fully dwell in Christ, and then Christ to fully dwell in you, if that doesn't blow your mind away, if that doesn't begin to melt your heart, I, I, I don't know what will. That God himself, when you place your faith in him and his spirit dwells in you and Christ himself dwells in your heart. Put it this way. Um, Imagine just the prime minister. And if you're not agreeable, if you're not partial to the current prime minister, think of a prime minister in the past that you respected. And imagine that prime minister shows up in your living room with a suitcase. (laughs) and says, I'm not just staying here for a a day, but I'm going to live with you now. I'm going to do life with you. I mean, when you think of it that way, at least for me, when I tried to work through this mind experiment, I first felt awkward, right? 
I, fe I felt daunted. I felt suspicious. I felt confused. And then eventually, after several adjectives, then, then I started, you really want to live with me? Are, are there benefits to this? <laughs> right? No taxes? <laughs> you know what? Just and begin to think along those lines and to really chew on that God in his fullness dwelt in Christ and Christ is pleased to dwell in you. Christ who is supreme is pleased to dwell in you. So here's the real heart issue. What or who takes first place in your heart? See, if I'm awkward or, or, or uh, it's difficult for me for the prime minister to live, it's because I have certain issues in my heart. But if I can get over those, then, then it, it might actually become a wonderful thing that someone so great and powerful would want to live with me. And so perhaps in our heart, there are other things that take first place. And whether it's to push Christ out or, or maybe your past, maybe uh, a narrative that you can't erase, whatever it may be, what takes first place in your heart? That's, this is the real heart issue. Let's put it differently. Am I juvenilely just so focused on immediate circumstances? The way I approach life, it, it's really like a child and just so fixated on just the immediate circumstance? Or am I maturing and being fascinated by life in God's promises, this grand picture of Christ that Paul is giving us? Christ being supreme and taking first place in our hearts. Am I focusing on his greatness? And is that helping me to take the eyes off the immediate circumstances? Another way to put it, am I just childishly, juvenilely, restless in my own impetuous wants? There's things that I just can't let go of. And even though we're adults, perhaps in our hearts we're having a tantrum. Or am I maturely resting in Christ's sovereignty, in his first placeness, in his preeminence? And so let me end by just giving you, just running through some quick practical ways you can put this into action. First, memorize. Take time. This is a great passage to memorize. Memorize these five verses, this glorious litany of Christ's excellencies. And I, I, I guarantee you on the character of the Spirit, and the power of God's word that the Bible purports, that, that presents itself as, that as, as we meditate on scripture, as we meditate on Christ's excellencies, it will take our hearts to a better place. Next, ask God to give you affections to the measure of Christ's greatness. Basically, to keep your eyes on Christ. And as you keep your eyes on Christ and see how big he is, all the other things in life will begin to become small. Specifically, Ask the Spirit to make you glad, to make you happy as you think of Christ being supreme over all creation, all history, every good and evil, and also new creation. And as we think of Christ dwelling in us, this is from a course that I'm taking called Freedom Session, and, and, and they say this, they invite us to imagine 10 seconds before your conception and preach to yourself the truth I was envisioned preciously in the mind of Christ. I was created fearfully by the hands of Christ for Christ. Even you, you came through Christ for him. You were created for his pleasure. And a natural next step is to preach to yourself the truth. Christ ultimately has blank under control. If he's truly supreme over creation and new creation, then he has blank under control. What does that fill in the blank for you? And finally, preach to yourself the truth. Because Christ is supreme, my salvation, because it depends on him and his grace, my salvation and my life are ultimately invincible. Ultimately. Let that sink in. Paul ends then saying, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself 
all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And this is the linchpin. It's because Christ has reconciled by his death and substituting himself for you and even reconciling creation, broken creation that's longing to be made into new creation, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so I found, uh, listened to this song this week that just wraps it up well. Who can imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken. He's reconciled all things by peace through his blood on the cross. I am forgiven. The king of kings who is preeminent, first place, calls me his own. Beautiful savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. And so my prayer for you is that you could pray this prayer. Lord, help me to find strength to endure with joy in your supremacy. Amen.